Welcome to Awards Radar, the podcast, a weekly discussion of the awards races, Hollywood news, and the films you should have on your radar. Here's your host, Joey Magidson. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Awards Radar podcast. I am Joey. And uh, believe it or not, we're technically in the next season. Obviously, nothing awards related has really happened yet, but that's that's where we're at. So uh, the world has started to put out predictions, and I have too, and I'll talk a little bit about them, though I believe next week we're going to get a little deeper into them with a special guest. But for now, uh, Miles and Steve are both here. They'll be introduced momentarily. But they have a movie they're very excited to talk about, which may also be spread out over two episodes, and just I want to sort of catch us up on a couple of things, and we have some questions, so it'll be a, a grab bag. But uh, yes, Miles is here. Hi, I'm here. Grab that bag, y'all. And Steve. I'm here, also. Bag. <laughs> you, can, you can hear the enthusiasm. <laughs> um, so, yes, um, about as enthusiastic as Miles will be when I start talking about year-in-advance predictions. But, yeah, he's, he's utterly thrilled that we're going to be doing it twice. Yeah, but, no, this, is, this is so good for me. <laughs> Yeah. Um, here, let's do a film hog face-off. You guys like that better? Um, Ryan McDermott. Ariana DeBose in West Side Story or Yoon Jin Young in Minari? Um, I haven't seen West Side Story and I don't have any plans to. Uh, so by default, I go with uh, Yoon, uh, Jo Young, which I thought was stunning. Steve? Um, I saw both. I uh, liked both quite a bit, but... Uh... Yoon Jin Young, is that how you pronounce your name? Yoon Yo Jung. I, I, I I'm terrible. To look yeah, let me look it up. Myself. Yes. I'll... Yeah, no, I just pulled it up. It's Yoon Yo Jung. Yoon Jo Young. Yes. Keeping in let mind me, that pull it up. Um, no one in Hollywood pronounces it right because it's full of ignorant white people. But, you know. I'm just so glad that John Travolta didn't uh, introduce her at the Oscars. He may have gotten it right. Oh, that would have been hit by yeah. accident, by like full on accident. He might have. <laughs> Is that one of those uh, a broken clock is wrong twice a day kind of situations? <laughs> right twice a day. What did I say? Wrong. You said wrong twice a day. <laughs> yeah, the it's wrong. I mean, it's, it's also it's wrong, wrong most twice of the day. The John Travolta right clock is wrong most of the day. Oh no. Okay, so I oh, butchered a joke oh, about somebody butchering names of things. That's <laughs> yeah. embarrassing. Oh jeez, you was gonna tell the time. So you and your junk. See, I did a bit. Is yes. uh, amazing, and uh, yeah. And, and you know what I loved almost as much as I loved her performance in that film was her presenting uh, Troy Kotzer, the Oscar. That was a lovely oh. moment. That's one of my favorite moments of the it night. Really yeah. I do like her taking time to be like, I'm. this is like, you know, no one assumed I'd be here a year ago. Like, you know, I'm going to enjoy this because there's no guarantee I come back every year type thing. I like yeah. that. They're kind of like, I'm just going to slow things down because it's, you know. I'm going to make it about not even like me, but I'm going to enjoy myself because fuck, I'm here. And I, I appreciate that in the same way that like, I think Troy does a good job of that. I'm just like, guys, I'm going to take a second. Like you're, you're Will Smith. Well, maybe not Will Smith anymore, but you know what I mean? <laughs> of the world are mainstays of this. This is special to me. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you went, you went with yes. her. Steve. All right. Um, I'm pretty much even. I think I'll go Ariana DeBose just to mix it up. Um, they're both good. They both weren't who I would have voted for. But I also feel like the field kind of 
never never materialized to make it something where you could really even have a passionate other choice which is nothing against the other nominees but like you know there, there's a difference between like best actress this year where you know i don't know how many people's first choice was jessica chastain but like no one really can complain that she has an oscar but you could really be more passionate about really anyone else on the list mm-hmm. um and certainly people were well I don't remember that last year or this year for supporting actress. Let's put it this way: I wouldn't take it. I wouldn't want to take it away from either one of these women. So I'm very happy sure. they both have Oscars. Yeah. Oh no, especially with supporting actress this year, it very much felt like the the nominations were sort of filling in the blanks. Like Kirsten Dunst getting nominated was great. Uh, I would have felt similarly about her winning. I probably would have picked her in a, like a binary choice, but similar feeling of like they're both fine either way. Um, Last year, I mean, maybe Amanda Seyfried and Maria Bakalova, but, like, again, it was cool to get them in the club yeah. as opposed to the, the wins. And uh, that's there's nothing wrong with that. Next up, Troy Kotzer and Coda or Daniel Kaluuya and Judas and the Black Messiah? Here's a tough one. That is a tough one. Those are probably my two favorites of the last, you know, two groups of acting winners. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya's performance, I thought, was one of the highlights of cinema period in 2020. Uh, and uh, that was, even though it was kind of a done deal, it was still the Oscar win of that night that I was the most excited about. Troy Kotzer and Coda, though, very similar situation. I mean, that was the supporting actor of the year. Like, that was that performance. And so that was really amazing to see. Uh, it's it's very, very close. I think I'm going to give the edge to uh, Daniel Kaluuya, though. Fair enough. Steve? I'm going to go with Kotzer because, I don't know, isn't Kaluuya kind of... Uh... Category fraud or whatever they call it. You know, no, I would call that a proper supporting performance. I think Lakeith is more the lead of that one. I mean, that sure. one is category fraud for sure. <clears throat> yeah, and I mean, I could see the argument if someone wanted to make it, but I also am not a huge category fraud person. I'm just, I was just happy they both got nominated. That was my Yeah, thing. I was just looking for an excuse to pick one over the other. So now, now you've ruined it That's for me. That's fair. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, yeah. Steve. Just say, You're absolutely right. What kind of category see, fraud? Exactly. Oh, my God. It was terrible. So, yes. I'll go Coatser. Um, I'm going to go to Coatser as well, just because I find myself revisiting individual pieces of his performance more. Um, not that anything against Daniel Kaluuya. I thought for a second Steve was going to bring up like the weird thing about Daniel Kaluuya that people were talking about recently, but like he has like a like a weird like agent thing going on. Like he has like a guide who's like it, like if it was a movie would be like oh this person's bad for him we need to get him away from her, but. Uh, I don't think that matters for the performance. When he starts being in like weird movies that don't fit him, then we'll worry about it for, for just this. I think it's nothing against him. It's just ever so slightly. Like I can't, that, that Troy Gotts performance. I mean, I liked it at Sundance. I never really thought of it as like the Academy would go for it. But the, the longer I've, I've revisited moments or revisited the film, like he's become the MVP. So it's really hard to, uh, take it away by the by, um, we asked the readers on Twitter this question. Uh, we asked about the last four years, and I will give you the answer right now. Um, we asked if it was Troy, Daniel Kaluuya, Brad Pitt, or Mahershala Ali. Uh, I bet you can't guess who came in last. Uh, was it Mahershala? Yeah. Um, there's, there's at the time of recording, three days and so left to vote, so I think you guys can still vote when you hear this. It might be the end of the poll. Um, 6% for Daniel Kaluuya, for Mahershala Ali. Then Daniel Kaluuya, 23. 
Then Troy at 29, 42 for Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt's still coming on strong there. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I mean, I, it felt like a two-horse race for me when I, as soon as the, the poll got put up. Um, Jessica Chastain in the eyes of Tammy Faye or Frances McDormand in Nomadland? Uh, it's Frances McDormand for me. I'm not particularly excited about either film or either performance, but Frances, I felt like, was doing some proper, like, you know, salt-of-the-earth acting that felt like... Even if it was building on stuff she's done before, it was still its own thing. Jessica Chastain, Eyes of Tammy Faye, look, I'm super happy for her that she has an Oscar for something, but it's her scent of a woman. This movie did nothing <laughs> for me. Yeah, I'm very much in the same Steve? boat. Um, it's not the one I wanted her to win for, and, and it's an okay—she's okay in it. You know, she's she's fine. And the film is fine, but that's about it. It's never early in the season. It seemed like it was going to be washed away, and then it, it it's like a, a bottle you throw in the ocean that that came back, and somehow it came back at the right time and won. But yeah, not my pick. So yeah, no, I I, I like her more than I think most in that movie, but I am well aware that this is. Uh, I wouldn't. I don't want to say she's doing it in her sleep, but like. It's something she can do well. Um, I think as much as Nomadland maybe is a movie I appreciate more than I am uh, like fond of overall, it's impossible not to think she's great. I mean, you cannot think she's the best of that year, and then she might have been like even my third or fourth in that category that year, but that was um, that was the strength of that lineup as opposed to... Yeah, taking it down in some way. She's so yeah, not, I, I she's don't. She's not I don't a think win. I'm mad about in any way. No, you. I mean, you. You have that like really a third and like. You, yeah, especially she's when one of those actor, you know, Jack Nicholson has three. You know, Meryl Streep has how what she has three, right? Yeah. So it's, it's know, not about the yeah. She's somebody no, who's it's... been around long enough and been consistently good enough that that felt like a matter of when. Oh, yeah, it becomes way more about um, who's nominated and, and isn't winning and are they missing their time now because of that than anything to do oh, with. Oh, totally, like, totally. Yeah. And that's, and that's a, you know, that's a, that's a separate issue. But it's hard not to uh, sort of wish that uh, that would go differently. Not for, not for, you know, against her, but more the, for the Carrie Mulligans of the world, as it were. Not that sure. I playing favorites even though i'm but also carrie mulligan because it wasn't like it's her first ever role that like she's getting nominated for like she's been putting in the work for a while i don't think you know barring something unforeseen and tragic i don't think anyone doubts that she'll be back nice um yeah you i mean you certainly hope so at least uh will smith and king richard or anthony hopkins and the father i still haven't seen the father I need to I need to get on it. Not since last week. No, well, I was too busy watching huh. another movie last week that we'll get to. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it feels weird giving Will Smith credit for anything right now. But I guess I have to go default uh, because it's the only you heard it first. Seen. You heard it here. I don't know. I'm sure I'll see the father and Hopkins performance. Sounds like more probably what I would be into, just because I'm not crazy about that kind of sports biopic especially if it's not even about its subject yeah. but uh no i think will smith is uh is good in that movie um i'm going anthony hopkins uh, by far 
I think he is tremendous. I, you know, I know people were upset uh, with him winning that night. I wasn't because I thought he was yeah. the performance of the year and he deserved it. So I'm going to stick by that. Um, I mean, I, I I liked him in it. It's not my favorite of his like serious roles. There's nothing wrong with it. I think I just, and this is not a necessarily like a great reason, but I always kind of, and not that it's a bad reason either, but just, it's not the movie rubbed up a little bit about like, isn't this, this is like, their father instead of about them and like i understand that that's the type of movie but it's weird that it didn't get more caught up in that because it seems like the thing that especially these days would be a bigger deal not that it's like erasure they're they're prime supporting characters the williams sisters but like supporting characters in their own life in a way it's a tactic but like i i you know i saw that and and liked him and liked the movie but coming on the heels of seeing Simon Rex, you know, a month before that, or some of these other performances that you're just like, oh my God, how, how is that not, you know, worthy? And then when it comes to like Anthony Hopkins, I, he's great in that movie. It's, it's work, that movie, and it doesn't necessarily make you feel good, but like you, that's another one where like you felt, you, you, you weren't mad that he won. It was more interesting. And also then just the almost fun of like, you guys fucked up the easiest slam dunk of the night. <laughs> Just yeah. to try to just to try to make a manufactured event. All right, serves you right. Seriously, though, that was the year when like everyone was willing to give the Oscars the benefit of the doubt because of the pandemic, and they still found new and interesting ways to fuck things up. Yeah, I mean, such is life. Um, the direction of Jane Campion in *The Power of the Dog* or Chloe Zhao in *Nomadland*. Um. I think Jane Campion is probably doing more interesting directing in The Power of the Dog. But I probably like Nomadland better as a movie. Even And I think Chloe Zhao is definitely doing some interesting stuff. Um, it's not really fair to count Eternals against her in that particular context. Um, yeah. I think in terms of just the directing job they did on the movie, I'll go with Campion. Solid. I'll Steve? go Campion as well. Um, yeah, like if you're saying who directed more, you see more of Campion's work and influence on the screen, I think, in in The Power of the Dog. I think in Nomadland, uh, a lot of it for me was the sound and some of the editing and, and definitely the cinematography. Um, but it wasn't, you know, I think the story Campion tells is it, it's it's the way that, that she worked with the the cinematography and with the way they framed shots and the way you know and, and the direction of the actors i think it's more of a director's film so for that i give it to her yeah and real quick just to build off of that because i think that raises a really interesting question when we compare these things it's kind of apples and oranges in the sense that Chloe Zhao is like capturing found moments just in the way she shoots and the way the performances are sort of laid out in a very naturalistic way. Whereas Campion is more constructing moments, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I get it. Um, I'm going to go Campion. I, I, I mean, part of it is I, I like the movie better, but um, mostly I think it's, I think you guys actually really said it well. 
Um, there, this goes back to that that code of power with the dog conversation of like they're doing different things. They're doing them both equally well. They're just doing different things. I think it's almost impossible to compare. I mean, this one's different in that they're both um, meandering is the wrong word because we because that's a more of a complaint, but uh, deliberate and they're mood pieces and they're they're attempting to tell a story. Maybe lyrically. Lyrically is how I'd say it. Like, I remember comparing um, Nomadland to a Springsteen song. Like, the, like the, it's not obviously the, you know, the ballad of the working class man. But it's, it's a similar vibe of, like, I'm somewhat on the fringe. This is what you expect someone like me to be. This is the life I lead. And Power the Dog is almost doing that, too. Just different time, different place, different issues. So there's, there's something there. Um but Campion, I think, does get my pick. Not by a ton. They both knew the assignment, yes. and they both took their own approaches to it, and they both succeeded. They're just... Yeah, which is... What else yeah. do you want? Like, like that's that's the thing that, you know, making these choices is always... It's personal preference, you have to remember. Like, obviously, people get caught up in, like, I say this, which is why people like those, like, anonymous Oscar ballots, because people love to say, like, this is bad, this is good, but, like, it, it's different. Like, there is... I I would say, and, and this is this is a wild com- uh, comparison, but like, there's no factual reason why the direction of Saw is better than the dire- or worse than the direction of Nomadland. It's just different. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> well, I mean, just like because like I was just thinking of like, but that's a or like you know I I was going to say Kevin Smith, but that's a a loaded question for some people. But the idea of like. The direction of Clerks is simple. It's not calling attention to itself, but it's exactly what that movie needs. Like, that movie doesn't work the same way with that same aesthetic. Like, if everything is the same, but you bring in a director who's trying to, you know, do fancy things there, it's not going to fly. Just like if you had, let's say, Power of the Dog, if you had someone who wasn't an artist with the camera you would notice the, the, the pace of it different. Like it, be, knowing the assignment is huge, um, which is, I think, you honestly, you see that come into play a lot with like superhero movies that don't work. Like not knowing the assignment. Like um, no one is going to ever say that Alan Taylor is not a talented director. Like I don't watch Game of Thrones, but for all the I've heard, like he's, br- he's brilliant, right? Like did, great, did a great job on Game of Thrones and, and um, Sopranos and all these things. But Thor the Dark World is at best anonymously directed because just didn't know the assignment or wasn't able to execute it in that way. So there's something to be said for that. Uh, I agree. No matter what you're making, you know, or like the Russo brothers with, with, uh, with their stuff, like it's not considered better or worse. It's not, but it's, it's just, they know the assignment. Anyway, let's wrap up this one with um, Coda or Nomadland. Um, yeah, I'm going to go Coda for sure. Uh, it's a lovely emotional movie with, as we've said, great performances and it's doing something kind of familiar and a little predictable at times, but it's doing it really well and in a really unique way. Um, Nomadland is like, we were just talking about a very good version of what it is. Um, but by comparison, I don't find what it is to be as engaging. Yeah, I'm gonna go Coda as well. Fair enough. Um, I I see myself revisiting that film for sure. I, whenever I hear someone else is watching and they're talking about it, I, I'm like, 
yeah, when do I watch it next? Uh, Nomadland, I saw it. I appreciated it. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot to appreciate in the film. It's just, you know, it's not one that you want to pick up over and over again. Uh, and for that, Coda. Uh, it's a sweep, Coda. Um, I just don't feel the need to revisit Nomadland anytime soon. I might at some point, but I watch Coda sometimes just those three scenes, just when I want to like feel something different. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a pretty easy for for me with Nomadland. I would defend a lot of Nomadland, and the like. I know people who hated it, um, and I'm in. I mean, yeah, I don't yeah, get hating yeah. it. It's, it's you know, who's like, oh, that was so boring or whatever. I'm like, no, there's a lot to, to appreciate. It's just not something that you want to Friday night say, let's put on Nomadland again. Yeah, pop the popcorn. Oh, God. <laughs> get the bucket. Imagine? Yeah, that's not, not the popcorn uh, bucket. It's not how it's going to go. Um, <laughs> oh, God. I just, I just got that. <laughs> that took me a second, but your persistent laughter clued me in. <laughs> I'm, I'm selling a joke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, some other questions. Uh, Robert actually has one for us. He says, a decade ago, Oscar contenders Argo, Lincoln, and Silver Lines Playbook grossed over $200 million at the box office. Is there any chance upcoming releases like those will make even half that during their theatrical runs this year? If so, which films? No. And I think it's an interesting question. Yeah, I think the easiest answer is no. Short of something being a hit that becomes an Oscar player. Um, I think we're, we're sort of beyond, in a way, the days of the, the Oscar fair minor key blockbuster. Just because, one, we've been in a pandemic age where, like, box office is down. Two, the studios that are putting out those kind of things, um, for example, Warner Brothers... They also put it on HBO Max. So maybe, you know, they're not going uh, simultaneous anymore. But, you know, Batman is going to be... Batman is, what, a month old? Two Uh, months old? A month and two Uh, weeks. uh, Just over a month. And it's going to be on HBO Max in a week. Um, A couple days after you listen to this, it'll be on. I mean, because they reached a point where they're now... They've made the money that they feel they're going to make where it would be taking away from TV. Now they're like, just however you watch yeah. it. Um, obviously, Netflix, Apple, Amazon, their their theatrical stuff is um, <laughs> negligible, I suppose. Um, I'm curious what Killers of the Flower Moon is like for Apple, because Scorsese did get The Irishman into more a little bit more of a theatrical run with Netflix than, than usual, so... Who's to say? But it's certainly not going to be where it's money's coming. The difference from. is now now um, is that all films have an expiration date on it. So even the Batman, uh, I had a friend who last week said, "Man, I'm gonna, I still have to go see that. I'm, I'm going to try to go this week." I said, mm, "Maybe you want to wait a week or two because it's going to be out on HBO." He goes, "What? Really?" And that wasn't the case before. That would be maybe you know like you go back in the days. You go back to like the, the turn of the century. Uh, and it was that might be out in your hands in close to a year. Now it's yeah. already you know like oh uh, April sometime mid April this is going to be out on you know on home video well, or, the, or whatever. The event it's, it's changed. The event film is different. 
yeah. you know, the event is with like Batman, you got to go that first week or two, right? While everyone's seeing it. Um, otherwise, it's Marvel. You know, it's it's DC. It's the superhero stuff where you want to you wanna have... And it's not the water cooler thing. I think, you know, we, we live in such a divided time in all senses of the word now where one, also, you don't have a water cooler in a lot of scenarios. So, like, you don't necessarily want to talk about, like, oh, what did you go see? You have to bring it up in a, in a somewhat more removed conversation. So you're not necessarily even going to talk about, like, Spider-Man that way. But you want to be in the audience to hear the reaction when Andrew Garfield shows up. Or Avengers Assemble. Or, goddamn, I guess, Knuckles in Sonic 2, because that made all the money. But, like, you know, that's what you're going for. You're going for the pop. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, there's no wrong way to enjoy a movie. And, like, it's going to keep theaters alive. But I think the idea of, like, I need to be up on the movies that are going to be nominated for things and have Oscar buzz. We've inadvertently trained people to be like, well, they're they're going to be on Netflix. They're going to be on on Apple. They're going to they're going to be at home soon. You could rent them like you don't necessarily have to go do the work anymore. And, and on the one hand, I would argue I don't know that less people are watching these movies. Some in some cases, more people are, but they're not being reflected in, in box office like what you know, what, yeah. what the importance the only thing that it really uh changes i mean it changes a lot things of, of definitely the the uh film viewing environment has completely changed but what it is is hmm. do you want theaters around in five years um and in order to, for them yes. to thrive in any way shape or form they have to the, the studios have to commit to helping that happen and hopefully you know it's not just like let's grab as much money as we can and they they do put more films into the theaters even the smaller films and they find a way to try to bring people back and for maybe like you know what's that movie uh, memoria is that what i think it's what it's called yeah, oh my yeah. God. i'm not saying that's a good film I'm, I'm saying my point is though that they said hey you know what no one's ever going to see this film so let's try to do something that's going to make it uh, stand out, and they came up with a unique distribution uh, solution. But maybe that's what they do. Instead of saying, "Hey, uh, like a film like, say, Nomadland, that it's going to have a limited audience anyways." Instead of putting a date on it automatically, don't announce the thirty-day, you know, uh, straight to uh, to your video on demand or whatever or to whatever service. You know, something like a smaller film, try to get people to actually go and, and visit the theater. I, you know, because that's the thing. It's like when you feel like, well, I, I, how much time do you have? And the world's changed and people are still, you know, a uh, little worried about COVID, especially now as the numbers are going back up and uh, and everything shifted. It's tough to, uh, to, you know, you just can't go back and turn back time. You just can't say, well, guess what? People are going to start going back to the theater. So you're going to have to do some figuring out you know do a little testing to figure out what it's going to take to get people back in the theaters for me i'd love to go see every movie in the theater uh, it's impossible you know and now that we've shifted and everybody's lives kind of broken up into zoom calls and work from home days and everything else it's even more difficult because you don't have that set schedule so i i for one you know i i want theaters around forever so you know let's let's not make this all your uh, what service you're going to be watching it on let's find a way to make that work but i don't think it's ever going to be what it was so i think yeah. uh i think oddly 
if I don't remember if you guys remember this or not, but um, Spielberg chimed in on this a while ago and basically said he thinks that eventually the movies are going to be like going to Broadway. Like oh, well, be, yeah, like you, going out to the movie will be like a night out. It'll be an event. You know? And I don't think he got it like fully right because that I think he was talking about like, you know, it's going to take a I think he was sort of talking about West Side Story, the idea of like, oh, we're going to the theater in a way. It's going to be more we're going to see Marvel. Mm-hmm. We're going to see. Oh, Super totally. Well, yeah. See... Yeah. In terms of the content of it. Yeah, that's exactly it is we go to see the new Marvel or the new Batman or whatever and everything else we watch at home, basically. Yeah. And I mean, that's not ideal, but I mean, there are always going to be people who will seek out film because there will yeah. be people who love film and and that will work. And like there's always going to be the things that do fine. I think we're just as we don't have the mid-level movie as much anymore they're not going to make mid-level dollars. Like, that's going to become, like, a good showing. Like, you know, Dog. Dog did pretty good. I mean, it, it apparently played really well in, like, middle America, which I'm sure Channing Tatum was really planning on playing to Republicans. But, like, you know, he's not going to turn down their money. Um, but that movie I, I made me think, like, in a normal time or, like, 10, 15 years ago, would that have made $100 million? Would that have been, like, a surprise success? You know, and, like, opened the 30 or something like that? Maybe, you know, now it's just like, okay, you, you, you exceeded expectations, you, you, you hit your, your numbers and then some, that's, that's good. Um, but it's the, it's the smaller things, but also the smaller things are, are now getting a different showcase because what, what do you think the power of the dog would have done if five years ago it would have been a, I mean, it wouldn't have got made probably, but if it had got made and it was a Weinstein company release. You know, like it could have done fine, but like, what would it have topped out at? Thirty million, forty million, at absolute best. Yeah, yeah probably that sounds about right. Yeah, and and that's you know we could do the math and figure out how many people that means saw the movie, but how many people do you think actually ended up watching it on Netflix? Double that, triple that. Mm-hmm. Because you they know? had the um, option and they had it for a while. Yeah. So that's there's something to be said of that. And and like obviously I think and I don't want to dwell on this because what this is something we're gonna talk about every few months for the rest of our lives doing this, but you know, it's not really on us to care about the money. We want things to make money because we want more of them. But if the new model is a streamer being willing to pay for them and wanting your eyeballs essentially, and they're getting them in, in pretty good numbers, I gotta say, it seems, even though we don't really know specifics, like that seems potentially like it's sustainable. I mean, yeah. until the the debt collector comes for Netflix. But I think, well, I think yeah. they're, as, they're... as the model is going right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I think their game is we have we have um, priceless amounts of your information, so they're never going to like collapse us. But you know, if they decide they don't care about awards anymore, I mean, that would be uh, that would be a, a different situation. But I don't think so. I think they, I think. As much as they're disappointed by how this goes, I think they love this. The idea of being, like, the classy distributor in a way, but also being the one who can throw around money. Like, there's never been that before. You know, think of your favorite mid-major indie label. They never threw around money. You know, even at the height of, like, Disney financing Harvey Weinstein, right? With Miramax. They weren't spending what Netflix spends. Even at the height of, like, you know, the Pulp Fictions and, and the King's Speech, whatever, you know, Philomena, whatever they were, like, just 
destroying the world with money on it's not the same as what netflix does yeah and they're doing it with more challenging movies like they did it with roma and the power of the dog like these are capital a art films now like they're not it's not memoria you know like even they know better than that and let me tell you i won't say the movie but someone pretty high up at netflix when i was out in la last year told me about screening something that they were looking into acquiring and not wanting it and it was very interesting to hear them be like yeah we're not we're not gonna waste money on this yeah um because it does feel like they're like we'll take anything like whatever (laughs) it's content um and it's a it's a movie that is high profile that went to somewhere else like you know of this movie um but i don't want to get in trouble so i won't say what it is yeah. Real quick on this uh, subject, because I had two thoughts, one of which is the whole conversation about, you know, films making money. It's not just that, you know, lifestyle wise, you know, we've gotten more accustomed to streaming than going out to the movies unless it's for something significant. A, a big part of it, and the two kind of go hand in hand, is that the streaming services are the ones that are putting out the most awards-friendly movies right now. I mean, you know, like Netflix has been in the game for a few years. Apple TV just won Best Picture. Amazon puts out a few, like, potentials every year. Like, it's it's becoming increasingly dominated by that. And obviously, 2020 gave that a big foothold because so many of the releases were basically streaming. But I think... Yeah between that and the way we now kind of mostly consume media i don't think you're really going to recover from that if anything you know it's only a matter of time before the first disney plus best picture nominee uh it's only you know the first matter uh, a matter of time before hulu wins something you know they're all because they all algorithmically want to have a little bit of everything it's inevitable that they don't keep putting out more stuff that fits whatever particular niche Oscars are going for that year. You know, it's funny. You, you mentioned totally. they have that Disney Plus. Maybe that was the strategy behind Turning Red premiering on Disney Plus because, like... Just get in front of get everyone. Get in front of everyone. No, but also, that would be the first... Did, did, was Soul only on Disney Plus? I thought Soul had a, a release. Soul and Luca were both Disney Plus only. Oh, really? Oh, I guess then... Yeah, because it was the pandemic. Oh, then Disney Plus yes, already no, has I it, get what you're getting Oscar. at. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. and also, I think with them, like... There's not a ton of, you know, difference in being a Disney Best Picture winner or a Disney Plus Best yeah. Picture yeah. winner. Though I do think they might... Um, they might you know, still do something, turn- I think, for sure. Well, yeah. Well, Turning Red went straight and um, Lightyear is going the theaters. Like, this might be what they do now when they have, like, two Pixars, for example. Yeah, they might do send one, one, one and the other. Yeah, like, to try to also gin up the idea of, like, oh, this one's special. Not that it's any more or less but like because like they know people will go but can we get more you know like that's what it's always about it's like okay this is great can we get more um speak you know but like i I do think the days of things that are just gunning to be an oscar movie making a bunch of money are going to be a little bit rarer i mean i was listening to an old episode of this had oscar buzz and they were they did a a feature ad on on focus features like they did a bunch of focus movies and one was on the place beyond the pines and i love that movie but i know it was divisive um reviews were i guess like kind but muted you know when it was like probably like 70 percent round tomatoes like got in like an mbr nomination but that was it played at the year before's uh toronto like in no way special by any of those metrics right one of many that do that kind of thing um and they were talking about it made 30 million dollars 
Like, can you imagine? That's crazy. A movie like that getting 30 million. That's like, yeah, like for what that is. That was, yeah, that's why they're like, you know, this was a success. Like, people wanted to go see that, that the new movie that had Ryan Gosling and like, oh, that guy Bradley Cooper might be a thing now. Um, but like now, can you imagine if, if times were, were more, you know, theater based and things were fine? Like, um, come on, come on, making $20 million. Like, of course not. Or like something that got no nominations, but was in talked about for a year. You know, the come on, come ons of the world, the red rockets, like red rocket made us shade over a million bucks and like nothing to be upset about. It cost a little more than that. I'm sure it did okay internationally. I'm sure the rights were sold. Like, nobody lost money on Red Rocket. But, you know, 20 years ago, yeah, that probably could have made a couple bucks, right? That would have been uh, I, a I definitely deal. think if that come out, like, early to mid-2000s, I could totally see that, like, and, like, there was less stuff out there like it. It, it would have totally been hailed as, like, a Boogie Nights style, you know, oh, this kind of pushes against, you know, what you think you can get away with and all that. Because that oh, was yeah. the era That's... when people were, like, most responding to that. Yeah, because also the people who go to, and then we'll leave this conversation, um, who go to, like, the, the, the indie theater kind of thing are either very young or on the older side. Yeah. So you've got the, the, the people who are, the, you know, the, the, the college kids. Broad generalization because, you know, we go to the the things and, like, I don't think we're old yet. I mean, I guess I am. But, like, you know what I mean. Um, And then, like, the older couple who just, like, likes to go to that theater. You know, that's where you... Indie theaters are the one thing that brings hipsters and boomers together. Exactly. And then they'll have a completely different reaction to Red Rocket or something like that. Um, In any event. One last thing before we move on, because the big exception to the question is the one or two occasional blockbusters that often get nominated. I'm talking about your Dunes or your Inceptions or your District 9s yeah, or yeah. stuff like that. Increasingly, and that goes back to the Spielberg quote, it's kind of becoming a, it's going to be mostly streamers, maybe one or two like kind of classic things that went to theaters and a blockbuster of some sort, whether that mm-hmm. be Dune, whether that be, you know, whatever big thing comes out in the next few years. Out of the ones, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but in a different era, I could see something like Babylon actually being like a pretty big sized hit. That's the one on my on my list that I thought had the best chance because like La La Land, made, La La Land did it. Yeah, like exactly. it didn't win, but like La La Land made a lot of money. It made over a hundred. It wasn't like a Star Wars Born when Star Wars Born made a ton of money partly because it was Bradley Cooper's a movie star, Lady Gaga is like a music icon. This is positioned as like <clears throat> something everyone should see, which is the hardest part to do. I think that. Um, talking about things for this coming year, uh, Kayfley208 has a two-part question. Um, who could be this year's international director nominee? Which acting category do you see being the most stacked this year? And then from your predictions, could you see any of the films getting the CODA-type buzz as the feel-good crowd-pleasing film that goes on to win Best Picture? Any actors or actresses in your predictions that could get the overdue narrative? So for the international one, it's just impossible to know right now because we don't know what's going to be ready like obviously the easiest way to look at that is is when we get the and as you guys are listening to this i think the can lineup will be announced but we're recording this a day or two before that so you know when we see whether it's you know uh park chan wook or or, um whoever is the um big international filmmaker who emerges from that festival with the awards player i think you have to look at that 
and 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 I just more more than that, it's it's also just hard a year out to know because we, those films don't get covered in terms of the business of making a movie in the same way. You kind of just know when they're done, as opposed to we hear when David Fincher is thinking about a movie, when he says he's making this movie, when it supposedly has the finance. Like you hear about every step of the way, and maybe that is being reported, but like it doesn't make it stateside in the same way. So. I think once we know more about who and what are in play, it'll be easier to start to, I guess, figure that out in a way. Like, I, I don't think either, I don't know if any, either of you have an idea off the top of your head of anyone, no. but I, I, I can't I do think have of one. Anyone. Yeah. Um, just because I happen to know about this, I think this one's being talked about going to Cannes. Uh, Hirokazu Koreeda has a new movie. Yes, the guy who that's did the Shoplifters. Other one. Right, right. I think it's called Broker, but it's got Song Kang-ho from Parasite and uh, uh, Duna Bay, who um, worked with him on The Host. So, yeah, that could, I mean, that's probably the only one I know about, but also that feels like a combination of things where I could see him getting a, at least a nomination. Yeah, that that's the other one I was thinking of, and I couldn't I couldn't think of uh, Koreeda's name, so I spaced. But, yeah, that one, I mean, Bardo doesn't really count because it's someone who already has an Oscar already and is... I think less a foreign filmmaker as you would consider it, as much as much as like an international filmmaker. I think there's a slight difference to be thought of there. Um, so a lot of that is TBD, I think. Hey, um, I, which acting category? No, real quick, but, at Cannes, uh, isn't uh, Lightyear opening there or premiering there? Uh, it no, was originally they, going to, but I guess either they pulled it out or it was falsely reported. Okay, because I yeah, we're gonna we're gonna know. I'll say one thing real quick. I saw 30 minutes of it. And I will oh, let me t- let me tell it? you I can't say a word so but <laughs> I did ah, great unfortunately oh thanks <laughs> I, it, it, I've, yeah. I've seen it though stay tuned so hey a little bragging stay let tuned. me brag when I can um yeah no go I for also it. had a really good um, in terms of the acting mm. oh well there you go any more bragging um go ahead I mean we yeah <laughs> I mean do it up um in terms of the acting categories again it's hard to know I mean. Here, I'll give you the five that I have listed in each category, and you tell me what sounds the best right now. Uh, an actor, I have Bre- Brendan Fraser, The Whale, Bradley Cooper and Maestro, if that's even ready, Jesse Plemons, Killers of the Flower Moon, if he goes lead, Brad Pitt in Babylon, if he goes lead. I've seen people list him as uh, supporting. That might be an ensemble movie. Hugh Jackman, The Sun. Okay, so, like, that's, that's solid. Um, but also, you could lose two people in that category immediately. And also, we're we're putting a lot of stock in in the Academy caring about Brendan Fraser as much as we do. That's Actress, the one that I would most yeah. like to see is Brendan Fraser, just because I think that comeback story is one that, like, if it catches on, it could really catch on. Beyond totally. that, I, it, I know the play, and I think it's a totally if if the movie is done well, that is an Oscar worthy role. It's good to hear. Yeah, it seems like even if the movie maybe doesn't hit them as much as 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 anything else. It sounds like him, like that performance, especially with Aronofsky probably in closer to like the wrestler mode than uh, like Black Swan or anything like that. I think it it sounds right. Um, An actress, Carrie Mulligan, she said, Regina King, Shirley, she's playing Shirley Chisholm, uh, America's first black congresswoman. She ran for president. Uh, Ana de Armas, blonde. God knows what's going to happen with that. Kate Blanchett, tar, which is um, Todd Field. And Margaret Robbie Babylon, assuming that's that goes uh, lead. And also keep in mind, um, very easily, 
she said could have Zoe Kazan in lead also. I, I put her in supporting, as you'll see in a minute, but that does feel like a two-lead movie. Um, that, that one sounds pretty good, I think. The only other one I would throw in there that I've heard about is uh, this movie Viola Davis is doing. I can't remember the title off the top of my head, but it's the is one where the... she's like... She's like a tribeswoman um, or something. Is that the? It's not the Woman King, is it? Or is it the Woman King? Uh, maybe. Let me see. I have it on my list. Hang on. Yeah, the Woman King. Up. The Woman yep, yep, King. Yeah, woman no, King. that's that looks like it could be something. That one, I'm I'm not sure what to make of yet, but yeah, there's definitely a chance that that's a that's a big deal. Supporting actor. I mean, category placement is going to be so weird. It's possible to know. I saw. Um, um, my friend Nathaniel Rogers complaining about this and, and like I'm partially guilty because he's like don't predict things in category fraud but also one I don't care that much about category fraud because it's going to happen whether or not I say something and also we don't know like we're, you're going by the story obviously but how many times have we then seen the movie and been like oh this is focused completely differently than we thought so it's it's not a huge deal I think I think once once you have better information then it's on you to make a an educated decision or to follow what the studios are doing, which is just sort of how it works. But in Sporting Actor, I have Mark Ruffalo, Poor Things, Paul Dano, The Fablemans, Leonardo DiCaprio, Killers of the Flower Moon, again, depends on category placement, Tom Hanks in Elvis, and Seth Rogen in The Fablemans. And right under him is John David Washington in Canterbury Glass, depending on how he uh, whether he's co-lead or not. I, I was just about to say Seth Rogen Fablemans everything I've heard about that movie is that that's kind of the big meaty supporting role um, and I could definitely see Rogen's shown in bits and pieces here and there that he's kind of open to doing like a much more restrained performance like that so I could definitely see that one being popular well, yeah, can I'm, you imagine mistaken, Academy Award winner Seth Rogen <laughs> maybe he'd probably give an amazing speech Oh, it would be the best. Um, well, that's the thing. If he's if he's in the conversation and manages to win somewhere, watch out because he'll start giving great speeches. Um, and also, if I if I don't remember if I remember correctly, um, Steven Spielberg has said like his uncle was like his his like filmy influence. You know, well, that's exactly like, it. That's why I think that's the role that like he's basically going to be the co lead with the kid. Whereas. Um, I think Paul Dano gets to play almost like a, a less cruel um, Brad Pitt from the Tree of Life, like a not an absent father kind of thing, but like you know, watch a Spielberg movie. He has a he has some issues with his dad, Seth, who he clearly Seth loves. Rogen has it in him. I think people underestimate him. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Watch Fifty Fifty. Watch uh, Steve Jobs. Like they're not always maybe written to be. Like, not that they're not written to be, like, good roles, but, like, you know, Steve Jobs is a fair role. It's He's not the lead. He's not the focus. But I think he's good. At 50-50, he's great. I think he's good in funny people. Like, he's often really good. He's obviously great in, in movies that are more serious. I think he's, he's um, that are more funny. He's great in long shot. Like, he's a talented actor. Uh, supporting actress. I have Zoe Kazan for She Said. I suspect they'll end up being a co-lead. But, like, if that movie's great and they go hunting to get Zoe Kazan an Oscar in category... Fraud, I ain't going to say a damn word. Um, Michelle Williams, The Fablemans, again, depends on on how they campaign, but, like, maybe this is her year. Lily Gladstone, Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, Jesse Buckley, Women Talking. And uh, Carrie Mulligan, Maestro. Again, depends on uh, category placement, but I don't think they'll campaign two of her performances lead. And then next in line, um, Patricia Clarkson, and she said, and the various ladies of the whale, 
Hong Chao, Samantha Morton, Sadie Sink, also Vanessa Kirby for The Sun. I, I, would, I do wonder if maybe supporting actress is the best, depending on, on who stays in there. But it, it, I don't know if we can have an answer yet. Well, I would just say real quick, um, out of the whale characters, uh, Sadie Sink would be giving the character, at least, that would be a supporting actor contender. And I could definitely see her yeah. stepping up to that. I also think, uh, yeah, I, I think it could easily be Michelle Williams' year. I think she's come so close so many times that if Spielberg gives her like enough meat, I think I that could definitely be an early frontrunner, at least. Would be kind of cool if two years in a row he directed the Best Supporting Actress winner. Yeah. That's a cool stat. Um, in terms of uh, overdue, I don't know. I mean, is Carrie Mulligan overdue now? I don't know if she's overdue. I think Michelle Williams is probably the overdue one if you want to pick an overdue. Or Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. Also, the um, I think both Jesse Buckley and Carrie Mulligan could potentially get a little boost from other movies they're doing this year. Totally. That's, a, that's definitely a thing that could happen. And then um, CODA-type crowd-pleaser buzz. I don't know what the Fablemans will be, you know, what the mood of that is. I'm just looking at, like, my sort of, like, top films. Uh, she Said is going to be uh, a movie to make you angry and want to storm the, the castle and kill Harvey Weinstein. But, like, I'm down. Killers of the Flower Moon, yeah, Scorsese, that's going to be an upper. Babylon's supposed to be, like, the seedy side of Hollywood. I don't know that David O. Russell is necessarily making a uh, crowd pleaser, though who knows? We can't bury glass. Poor things. Yorgos Lanthimos' crowd pleasers are at best fucked up um i'm just i'm going down the list i don't think there is one i mean it's possible that sam mendes's empire of light is like a um like a belfast type movie but will that feel crowded if the fablemans is kind of already the belfast type movie totally i mean honestly i don't think there's a coda type feel-good movie at least in the lineup that i can see so it's more about like does someone does something hit everyone, and I don't know. When a lot of, of the time that movie is like a smaller one that creeps up on you, like it's exactly the, like a Moonlight or a Coda does not become an obvious front runner this early when we're looking ahead. I mean, I would I would say if you wanted to pick one that's in the like festival circles, it would be Cha Cha Real Smooth, but it's also not going to do stuff like that. Like it's. It's going to get the it's the next big Sundance movie kind of bump, but I don't think it's going to matter. In any event, we'll talk more about this next week because Miles has been a good sport about these, but I know he's like getting hives just talking about <laughs> movies he hasn't seen. So let's end on um, movies that have been seen, uh, one of which and I, and I think there might be something else maybe that you guys have seen since. But like there's one movie that um, they've seen I haven't yet because I uh, just was was busy as some of you know, and um, I'll be checking it out soon. But um, both Miles and Steve have seen uh, everything, every, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, Miles's review should be up on the site by the time you're reading this. Um, looking forward. To is that. there anything else both of you can have seen that you can talk about? Because I have something else I can talk about also. Uh, that's the only one I've seen in the past week, but I've seen it twice. So oh, did you? Okay. Oh, I'm well, jealous. you got talk about that real quick because then I'm going to end on two movies I saw which are um, The Northman and uh, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Oh, nice. So, yeah, um, talk, about, uh, talk about everything. Well, Steve, you want to go ahead? No, uh, you've seen it twice. Why don't you start? <laughs> okay. Uh, well, yeah, as Joey said, my review should be on the site by the time you're listening to this. Um, I fucking loved this movie. It's, 
It, you're, it, getting, you're on a good run. I'm on such a good run. I don't know if it's just me or just cinema in general, but like three of my favorite films that I've seen in the last 10 to 20 years have come out within the last month or so. It's How much is it going to hurt when you have to pick between the two of them at the end of the year? Well, I can't. three I of them, do, I guess. I do my, um, I tend to do my like ranking list as I go along and then make adjustments as I feel it. Uh, so right now I've got it as uh, everything everywhere all at once as my favorite of the year. Um, mm. Then the Batman, then Triple R. I had uh, a feeling Batman was going to split them just because it, it feels like a good like put this one right in the middle of those two like ambitious, somewhat arty films. Well, with this, I mean, like giant yeah, blockbuster that's doing it. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think and you and I have talked about this. I think I'm going to have to be doing a follow up article where basically breaking down these three films that just came out back to back and like there's kind of a lot of like weird and interesting like similarities and overlaps between them but anyway i'll get into all that later as far as everything everywhere oh my god it's this out of the three is like i'm already seriously considering like it's in my new like top five of all time like that's how much Mm. i was on board with this one um the cast is amazing michelle yo is like it's her career best and she's had a phenomenal career. Uh, fucking Ki Hui. Oh, I want to make sure I get this right. Ke Hui Kwan, uh, uh, which people mostly know as like short round and from the Goonies. He's like a revelation. He's so unbelievably good and he shows so much range and it's like, wow, we just got like a mini career's worth of performances in a single movie. Um, everything else is good. Jamie Lee Curtis is fucking game as shit for every stupid thing she's asked to do. Out of curiosity, Uh, what did you think of Swiss Army Man? I love Swiss Army Man. I think it has... Okay, that probably helps, right? Yeah, I think it's very much cut from the same cloth as term in terms of like the sensibility and in terms of like using juvenile things as kind of a Trojan horse to talk about more existential, like, you know, emotional stuff. Um, they both have that going. Yeah, Swiss Army Man, I think, has Daniel Radcliffe's best performance. <laughs> and, a, and a real game Paul Dano. Yeah, they're both going for it. And that's the same energy as here. The entire cast is going for it. Uh, it's so weird. It's so wild. It's like random but purposeful at the same time, which is a difficult sort of balancing act. Um, it's all about like you know, family and how we should be kinder to each other. And it's just, it leaves you with really positive vibes, which isn't something I can say from a lot of like twisty cerebral sci-fi films. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those ones where it's funny. The action's amazing. It just, it hits every sort of pleasure point for me. It seems like a movie and and Steve, you can, you can pick up on this and then give your thoughts do you guys, did you guys ever watch back in the days of E when that wasn't just about like the Kardashians coming attractions, the trailer show? I think Do you remember so. when they, when they would, you know, cause they would only have like a couple, you know, and they would have like some nonsense in the middle, but that's where I think the first time I saw the trailer for eternal sunshine was, or lost in translation, or like you would watch a trailer and you get in your head of like, Oh, this is like a type of movie I've never seen before. Um, or just like, I think this is something that I'm going to respond to. And they were always a little indie. It feels like this movie is kind of coming from that era. Like, I feel like at the time that would have been a focus features movie from 2000 and what was that? Like four or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting. You bring up uh, eternal sunshine because I think in terms of like 
having a weird concept that they sort of carry through. There's a lot of stylistic overlap between the two. Well, I can tell you, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't watch the trailer because I heard rumblings about this on, I guess I read them on Twitter. And I saw just like a lot of caps and exclamation points. And I was like, all right, I'll check it out. And then I kept getting it from different people from all over, uh, you know, people in the industry, people whose opinions I, I, uh, I respect, you know, as critics, uh, as film fans. And I'm like, okay, I'm in. Uh, and then uh, Miles was one of them. And Miles was the one I'm like, when Miles, because uh, his Batman reaction was very, very in tune with mine. And I was like, okay. I'm I'm on board. So I got the ticket. I made sure I got to the theater opening weekend. Um, sat down, waiting to be overwhelmed. And I got to tell you, at first, I was, but not in the right way. And I was like, okay, I see what they're doing. And it's a lot of clever, you know, artsy stuff, you know, mixed in with this crazy action and some like over the top moments and. and just like so much of everything. And I was like, okay, yeah, they, they're doing something. It's almost what I expected. And then at some point mm-hmm. it all turned and it all made sense because they took these moments and they took these, I don't want to give anything away, but these these really uh, bizarre and outrageous things. And it wasn't, I thought it was just being played to be bizarre. And then it, made sense and it become became more profound and had more meaning and and it all just worked and it all came together and i was like damn how i won't give anything away but how do hot dogs uh have such an emotional impact on me (laughs) and i'm getting like you know like worked up like emotionally i'm like damn and by the time it was over i i don't know how many times i cried um i wasn't bawling but my eyes were like you know ready to tear up or tearing up and uh, and I was just like, man, this is hitting on so many different levels, and it and it took all this 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 it's like a blender of random ingredients. It looks like, and somehow when it's all done, you're like, wow, the balance and the what you produced here is just it's just this cacophony of sound. And then you go, and sound and and it's that's not a, a reference to visuals, but uh, like a like a mosaic. That's what it's like. And like all these things thrown up, and, like, and then you you step back, go, holy crap! What you know, a, a masterpiece. I really am like, I was in awe when I left that theater. I could not believe uh, how much it did for me because honestly, about halfway through, I was like, I get what they're doing here, and it's fun, but that's yeah, it's 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 not it's not the film that everyone's t- saying it is, and that's you know that's mm-hmm. tough going into a film with with such praise. And expecting everything, and then you know, I, I've often let my expectations ruin films, or uh, or lack thereof allow me to uh, embrace a film that um, that I didn't expect to enjoy. And this one, I thought I I I thought I had the verdict, and then it shifted right around. And it was uh, Michelle Yeoh is incredible. Uh, the legend James Hong is in there. He's awesome. Um, uh, Ki Hoi Kwan, uh, 
who played short round, as you know him, he stopped acting for, like, I think he said two decades or three decades. Yep. And, yep. He was working as a fight coordinator. He was like uh, an AD on Wong Kar Wai films. And, and like you said, did he say it was, was it Minari or Parasite where he was like, maybe I should like give another shot. Like Neither. There was it, was, uh, it was Crazy, crazy Rich, Rich Asians. Asians yeah. Oh, Crazy Rich Asians. I forgot. It was what, a I huge was... blockbuster and he saw sort of all these other sort of Asian actors getting this big hit and he's like, okay, maybe there is room to sort of get back into the industry. Yeah, I forgot which one it was, but I knew it was, there was a film where he's like, I see myself on screen again. Like, maybe I should give yeah. this a shot. And the great thing is, it's such, yeah. like in a way, his story kind of fits into some of the themes and some of the messaging of, of the film. And mm-hmm. it's like, it, I don't know. It almost makes it a little, even more beautiful. That's what I think. Is I, when it was said, when it was all said and done, the one word that I, I kept thinking as I was leaving the theater, it was beautiful. And I, I'm like, man, nice. how is this beautiful? <laughs> like, and this when you see well, it, the visuals, there's some crazy stuff on screen, and the editing is insane, but insane in a great way. It's just like like I said, that when it all comes together, I'm like, man, I I don't I I I really I hope that we get an interview with the director. Uh, director of this film because directors yeah the daniels um i want to hear the story of like how long they worked on it and and how they just reined it all in because somehow they Mm. make it work oh i want everything i want a feature length documentary on this one it's insane well um you guys uh i think we're gonna have uh miles and steve continue this conversation probably for next week because i don't want to i don't want to accidentally hear more than I should before I see it, but I want you guys to be able to discuss it. So we're going to put a pin in that to hear more, and then I'll probably chime in once I see it. But I'll quickly mention two things I saw before we close up shop. Um, one, um, the review's been up a couple days, and the other review will be up by the time you read this. One is The Northman, which uh, Robert Eggers. Um, and if this is as mainstream as he's ever going to get, like he's still pretty weird. But it's uh, I liked it more than I was expecting to. Um, it's not as just batshit crazy as uh the lighthouse and it's not as out there as the witch but um everyone's in like and it's it could easily be ridiculous but it never is it's it's brutal and focused and you know there's a hump in the middle but it's still like it goes by faster than you think it will for a two hour and like 10 minute film or so maybe a little longer um, it's interesting to see someone like that who has such a very specific vision of things and kind of always takes the hard way paint on a big canvas. So once everyone sees it, because it is opening wide, um, I'm curious to have a, another conversation about that because there's plenty to dig into. While also it being like, also I think, and I don't mean this as a, as a, as a disparaging remark at all, but as surface levels, I think he's capable of doing. So there's a lot there. Um, and then... The unbearable weight of massive talent is uh, my favorite film of the year so far, <laughs> which I, I, I may not have. I don't know that I was expecting going in um, because the trailers are fine, but it also feels like kind of low hanging fruit. Like, yeah, Nicolas Cage is weird and he makes strange choices and like you can believe he would he would make this movie. Um, you need to see it to realize how in on the joke he is. And also like within this movie that is one sort of giant like tribute to the weirdness that is Nicolas Cage there's a pretty good buddy comedy in there it's it's like legitimately funny there's a it's like a decent spy movie like the action stuff at a certain point you're like I get it but it's it's doing it it's doing it well and like the fact that 
it references so many of his movies is is truly for the the film fan because i think the version of this movie i kind of thought of was either when it was the blacklist script was either it will never get made because it's just not commercial or it's really just a cool premise that's going to become that movie where someone plays themselves and it's whatever um but this truly like there is a line referencing captain corelli's mandolin like it's just like the amount of I, I I can't wait for someone to do the tally of how many of his movies are either mentioned, homaged in actual actions, or just hinted at. Also, I won't spoil the context, but it is a tribute not just to Nicolas Cage, but to Paddington Two. I love Paddington Two. I'm so excited. I've still never seen it, but oh, really? I yeah I, I never but saw the first one so I kind of kick ass dude they are so good. well that's the thing this is a plot point he has shown Paddington too um, it's it's and it's like one of the most like beautiful moments of the film um, yeah it's just great and he's phenomenal like he's so into this movie um, and in a way that like can't be always flattering but like it makes me wonder if he's more self aware than we realize and he's just like this like very earnest artist who's like yeah (laughs) i know i'm making a ridiculous movie but i want to make a ridiculous movie and i'm gonna give it my all and if it's terrible and no one likes it well i'm gonna make three more this year and what's it's gonna be fine um i'm not i'm not gonna mean this in a in a mean way because obviously we now know why a lot of the bruce wall stuff happened but like when you look at the anonymously titled only real like hardcore lovers of this person have seen Nicolas Cage movies and Bruce Willis movies, there's a difference. You know, there there are some Nicolas Cage movies where you're like, oh, you you needed to make some money and you just, this must have been the, the option. But there's plenty you were just like, okay, <laughs> there's a swing, a big swing going on here and I don't get why, but like, good on you, I guess. And this even brings up that stuff. It's, it's, it's so good. I can't wait for you guys. It's funny when you, when Miles was talking about the films that he you know he's on a roll. I was trying to think. There's a film that I saw. There's something you know out there that I'm like that I knew. I'm like this might continue that streak. Maybe not. It's, it's the same level, but he's going to enjoy. And this is the film. And I'm glad you brought it up because I was like, I don't know something about it. And now now it has some Paddington two in there, and I guess that strikes a chord. So uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to you seeing it, Miles, so we can hear more about it. <laughs> Maybe it's maybe a big love fest. Hopefully, it's it's yeah. exactly my vibe. Me and my wife are such big Nicolas Cage fans. We like the good stuff and the bad stuff. Tell you what, man, give him credit because he never stopped working. No matter how drecky some of it got, he was like, he was he was hustling, and I respect that. Oh yeah, and there's and there's some stuff where he's like playing a like cop or something like that, where it's just like, yeah, anyone could have made this movie, but like. Good on you for making he, he it, always, I guess. I feel like even when he's phoning it in, he always gives it a little extra something. There's always just a little bit of Nicolas Cage spice in there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It feels like he knows he's on that set where he's like, okay, I know why I'm making this movie. Everyone knows why I'm making this movie. But this is no one's going to tell me no on this set, I think. So if I just want to do like somewhere in the movie, I want to just throw up for no reason. I'm going to do it. Like, it's just like, that's his vibe is like, and you know what? I want to do it because I've never done it. And I want to see what it's like on film. And it's art. Like an art can't be bad. Like I, it's, it's ridiculous. And, and I would never claim to say all of his choices always work, 
but you always are clearly saying he's making choices and they always seem to be pure in the same way that like i think we feel like jared leto is making choices because he like thinks that's how an actor should behave i feel like this is just like almost beyond nicholas cage's control he's like i don't know how to be another type of you know it's great right now he's you know he's doing press and unlike for the last which is great decade where it seemed like they were just asking him you know nicholas cage is a maniac questions they're asking him serious questions about his career and about film and he has some amazing answers uh he talked about working on uh leaving las vegas and how uh pig was like a kind of a connection to that and in like the type of film that's my was. two favorite performances of him and are you saying that's why he'll continue to do those small independent dramas because sometimes that's what you hit and i'm like you know it's 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 you know, it, it's kind of you know similar to I, I don't remember the actor's name offhand. Uh, the the guy who played Short Round. Let me get pull up his name. K uh, uh, Hui Kwan. Kwan. Um, you know, these people that get disposed of or, or tossed aside or become punchlines or whatever it is, just forgotten. And it's great to see uh, these moments where uh, I don't know if it's called redemption, but you know, these moments where they get the opportunity to come back. Well, and get a little bit of the respect because it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's so easy for us. You know, and that's what uh, I'm not going to get into all the Twitter crap, but I, I got into that last week. But, but yeah, yeah it's, like, it's just it's just great to see. I'll stop there. Well, it's like, um, I don't know if either of you read uh, Seth Rogen's book last year. I didn't know. Um, no. Your book. It's so good. But he talks about meeting Nicolas Cage for Green Hornet. And he wanted to basically do it as a, um, a white Jamaican. Yeah, like, oh, I do remember God. reading that quote. <laughs> like that. And then and then got annoyed when James Franco did um, Spring Breakers. He's like, did you tell James Franco about this? Like, did you steal my thing? Like, and obviously, like, out of context. And I don't think Rogan ever meant it as, like, a Nicolas Cage is a bad guy. Just as, like, I had this very weird conversation with Nicolas Cage. And it came back later on. I think Nicolas Cage maybe also is is such an artist in a way that he worries... That it's almost like I, I, I want to make this big risk, this big choice. And maybe he's also aware that like it may not work. Like it could be an awful decision, but I'm gonna I wanna try it and is maybe like sensitive to how it's portrayed. Like it makes you kind of reconsider some of these things where you hear these wild stories and you're like, Well, maybe it's less like um a huge ego or or he's just an insane person is like he's He's like a the fringe artist. He's not a mad scientist. Maybe, he's just maybe a it, scientist, and he's ex- yeah. You know, and maybe it's even like, you know, I'm I'm doing a list for Friday, so tomorrow you guys will I'll see it of my ten favorite performances of his, and among the ten is one that I would argue might be maybe his biggest challenge. It's the movie It Could Happen to You, and it's just a very sweet oh, romantic yeah. comedy. And he, and he plays a cop, and there's no ticks. Like it is like. It's just a like a romantic leading man movie. Like Tom Hanks could have done that role, and I and I bet you if you looked at who was up for that role, he was probably in the conversation at one point. And I wonder is that was that like a huge challenge for Nicolas Cage to like play it straight because he's so charming in the movie. But even if you look at like Moonstruck and and the early like even like Nicolas Coppola, he was still making big choices. They were a little more restrained because I think he didn't necessarily feel like he could you know, have the last word. But, you know, even if you look at what would you consider, like, his least ticky performances of late, they're still, like, interesting. You know, Lord of War was probably, like, a pretty mainstream movie where he wasn't going too out there, right? But still, there was some weird shit in there. 
I was just about like, to say he had that period in the early aughts where he's doing stuff like Lord of War or National Treasure or um, the uh, Rock. Uh, yeah, well, not even The Rock, but the like Rock's roles a little before where, that, but yeah. like the Weatherman, like roles where he's just kind he's of great like in he's great in it, but it's a lot more. He's more of a straight man in those movies. He's more of like the and cool, I, calm professional. Which yeah. is funny from him because it all—it still feels like he's playing that, which gives it this extra level of like amusement. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Like you—you you look at the weatherman, and it could happen to you, and you're like, "Is this like—is this your version of method acting? Of like, this is what a calm human being would be like, or like a, you know, a low key person? I guess that's what it is. When you see him playing low key like that, and not like Pig, because Pig is a, like, just inhabiting this this very unique character. Um, it's, it's so good. It's so wild. Um, all right, let's wrap up. I want to come back to this stuff once you guys have seen it. So, uh, say where you can be followed and, um, tell me what movie you're looking forward to next. That's not one of the ones we spoke about. Okay. Um, uh, well, you can find me on both Twitter and Letterboxd at Miles on Film. That's M-Y-L-E-S on Film. Please check out my short films, American Exorcist and Once Upon a Dracula. They're both on YouTube under Aftershock Pictures and Chase Capo, respectively. Uh, and also check out my writing for Awards Radar, Everything Everywhere All at Once review coming this week. Should be out by the time you hear this. And um, uh, writing on Looper as well. Uh, next movie I'm looking forward to, well, I am... Definitely looking forward to both The Northman and uh, Massive Talent. Um, beyond that, uh, probably Doctor Strange. I'm excited to see Sam I'm, Raimi do another superhero movie. I will be seeing that in two weeks, I believe. Yes, less than two weeks. I'm, I'm yes. going to be there, too. Something like that. Soon. Yeah. Um, all right, Steve, you're all up. All right. Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter and Letterboxd at Filmstork, although I haven't been as active as I used to be, but going to try to do that again. And be sure to listen to The Verse, the podcast. You can find it on Awards Radar. We cover all the cinematic universes, including Moon Knight, uh, the new Marvel Disney Plus series, and uh, we're covering a lot of the Batman right now. So give it a listen. And, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am I'm agree with Doctor Strange. And, you know, I, there's a lot of big blockbusters. This seems like a great summer for the blockbuster film. You know, between Top Gun, Thor. Is Thor coming out? It's coming out soon, right? Thor is yeah. uh, July, although they might push it back because there hasn't been a trailer yet. Yeah. I mean, Black Panther as I well. Bet, I bet it, yeah, I've, I've been worried about Black Panther. I, I don't think Black Panther can make November, not with the state it's in. No. It just finished filming like a month or two ago. I mean, I, I don't know how fast they can turn it around. Um, I but think that's going to matter. Surely they don't want to rush it, considering no, I think they'll, with that one. I think once once Feige and company get their, their hands on it and sort of see where they're at, or, you know, when Cooler is able to deliver, like, a rough cut or whatever whatever the Marvel world is. Because I'm sure there's going to be reshoots set up. Like, that probably will be when they know. Like, if they go back for reshoots in the summer, and it might be, like, with Doctor Strange. Remember, there was, like, a longer-than-expected reshoot situation? Yeah. As opposed to just, like, our normal pickup? Like, I think if that's the case, they might be like, okay, we're going we're gonna to open in February of next year. All right. Yeah, I could definitely see that happening. But yeah, Thor in July, as far as we know. My pick actually is Nope, Jordan Peele's upcoming film. Oh, mm. that looks great. Yeah. I'm excited for that. So, there's, there's so much, though. There's, I'm, I'm going to be at the theaters, which is I, I'm excited about, to have a summer that's going to feel like an old summer, where I'm going to be, probably be in there you know, with the family you know, probably four, five, six times. That'd be great, yeah. 
Um, and you can find me at uh, Joey Magaton, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, all those things. You can find Awards Radar on several of those things. Um, I mean, you guys know my answer is Clerks 3. So in addition to the Clerks 3 that only I care about as much as in this world, let's say, there's plenty of people who care about it. Um, in terms of something coming soon, I think it's either if you want to go big, it's Top Gun, just because I'm so curious. And smaller scale, Blonde. So, at this point, I just want to know what it is that's got people so riled up within Netflix about Blonde. Well, and also, I feel like, like it now be. it has the pressure of uh, filling the void that uh, Deep Water was supposed to fill. Oh, yeah. I mean, the one interesting thing would be, like, could could Netflix maybe break the NC-17? Because it has that rating. If they're just like, we're not going to treat it any differently, maybe maybe there's something there. We will see. Um, so, yeah, more to come next week. We might have a, a guest. I think Steve will not be on next week because we're recording while he's got a family obligation. But you might hear him talking more about the film with Miles. So stay tuned. That's a little bit in flux. But um, until then, stay safe, and uh, we will see you at the movies. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and to visit awardsradar.com for the best in awards and entertainment content.